Chapter 1 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1, by Knut Gjerset. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1. The Country and Its Resources. The Kingdom of Norway forms a part of the Scandinavian peninsula, embracing its mountainous western slope. It consists of a rock-bound coast region 1,700 miles in length, when measured along the outer belt of rocks. In the southern part, it is about 260 miles wide, in the northern about 60 miles, though the extreme northern province, Finnmarken, is considerably wider. Measured in a straight line, the distance north and south from Vardu to Lindesnes is about 1,100 miles, so that if the country were swung around, its northern extremity would reach the Pyrenees. Norway is a little larger than the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, its total area being 124,495 square miles, were about the same as that of our New England states together with New York and New Jersey. The country consists of a mountain plateau, broken by two larger depressions, one in the southwestern part, another and smaller one around the Trondheimsfjord. These two tracts, Urslande and Trindelagen, consisting of undulating mountain slopes, contain extensive and valuable forests of coniferous trees, and are especially well adapted to farming and cattle raising. The southern coast region, Vestlandet, as well as the northern part, Nordland and Finnmarken, is intersected by narrow fjords extending far into the country. These deep cuts in the rocky plateau continue inland as narrow, fertile valleys, abounding in streams and waterfalls, and are often of incomparable beauty and grandeur. Fringing these valleys are large mountain tracts unfit for agriculture, bearing timber, grass, and wild berries. These tracts are valuable as pasture and timberlands, while an abundance of wild game lends them a special charm as excellent hunting grounds. The high inland plateau is uninhabitable, being for the most part covered by glaciers and perpetual snow. This is the undisputed domain of birds and wild deer, which exist here in such numbers as to render even these large areas of frozen desolation of considerable importance to domestic economy. Norway lies north of the 58th parallel, its southern extremity, Lindesnes, being at 57 degrees, 59 minutes north latitude, while in the north it reaches a latitude of 71 degrees, 11 minutes. If the country were applied to the North American continent in the same latitude, its southern part would be found to lie in the region of central Labrador, while its northern extremity would reach the magnetic pole. Considering its high latitude, the climatic conditions of the country are unique. The Gulf Stream, passing up through the Atlantic to the west of the Scandinavian peninsula, so affects conditions in this respect that nowhere else in the world is the average temperature so high in the same latitude. The climate varies a great deal with the elevation above the sea, as well as with the latitude, but south of the Arctic Circle the average temperature is about the same as in our northern tier of states, being cooler in summer and warmer in winter than in our states, resembling more closely the climate of the state of Washington and British Columbia. Thunderstorms are rare even in the southern part. The coast is often swept by strong winds or severe storms, especially in winter, but in inland districts the air is almost always calm, owing to the uniform temperature. The winter is long and dark, in the northern part of the country an almost unbroken night. A deep covering of snow then spreads over mountains and woodlands, affording unequaled opportunity for sleighing and skiing, which form the most characteristic features of winter life in Norway. The summer, with its almost continuous daylight, is very beautiful. From the last days of May till the end of July, the sun never sets on northern Norway, and even in Christiania days fade so gently into night that they can scarcely be told apart. 
the summer landscape of fjords and wooded mountainsides, dark headlands and green islands, which break the evening sunlight into various hues and tints, has the ethereal mystic beauty peculiar to high latitudes. Fishing, farming, and cattle raising were the chief occupations from early times, and they still continue to be the people's principal means of subsistence, though many new pursuits, such as lumbering, commerce, and manufacturing, have become of great importance in later years. According to the sagas, splendidly painted ships with many-colored sails carried fish from Norway to England over 1,000 years ago, and fish still continues to be one of the chief articles of export. Especially important are the herring and cod fisheries, though mackerel, halibut, salmon, sea trout, sardines, and lobster are also caught in large quantities. The most noted fishing grounds are the Lofoten Islands, where 36 fishing stations are located. In the early months of winter, about 40,000 fishermen gather here to take part in the cod fisheries. The average value of the yearly catch of herring, cod, and other varieties of fish, when ready for the market, is estimated at $12 million. Agriculture is one of the leading pursuits in Norway, and is carried on in all parts except in the extreme northern region north of the 70th parallel, where no grain can be raised. Scarcely 3% of the total area of the country is under cultivation, and of this area the greater portion is meadow, only 7 tenths percent of the total area being devoted to the cultivation of grain. But although the acreage is small, a remarkably large number of people devote themselves to farming. According to the census of 1900, 993,000 persons, or 44.7% of the population, were connected directly or indirectly with this occupation. The average yearly value of agricultural products in the period from 1895 to 1900 was $17,496,000. Of the cereals, wheat, barley, oats, and rye are raised. Wheat and barley were cultivated on the Scandinavian peninsula as early as in the Younger Stone Age, prior to 1500 BC. Oats was introduced in the Bronze Age, 1500 to 500 BC, and rye in the Iron Age, after 500 BC. Oats is the chief grain in most districts, being cultivated more extensively than any other cereal. The average annual yield is 9,500,000 bushels. Barley, which ripens as far north as 70 degrees north latitude, yields annually about 4 million bushels. The wheat growing area is small, being restricted chiefly to the southern district. The yield is about 255 bushels annually. Rye is the chief food grain in Norway, and ripens up to 69 degrees or 70 degrees north latitude but it is not raised extensively, as spring rye gives a small yield, and the winter rye is not reliable. The annual yield is about 900,000 bushels. A considerable area is devoted to the raising of peas and potatoes. The peas crop is 220,000 bushels. The potato crop is about 23 million bushels annually. Fruit raising is carried on in many parts of Norway, but not on a very extensive scale. Apples, pears, and cherries are raised, and berries, such as currants, gooseberries, and raspberries, are grown in great abundance. Of wild varieties, the blueberry, cloudberry, and whortleberry are found in inexhaustible quantities in the mountain districts. The home market is often glutted with these delicacies at certain seasons of the year, and the export of berries is a growing source of income. The raising of cattle and other domestic animals is of even greater importance than agriculture, because this branch of husbandry can be carried on with success in places where grain cannot be cultivated. During the last few years, the income from this source has been about $40,500,000 a year, or more than the income from fishing and agriculture combined. In connection with cattle raising, dairying has, especially of late years, become of great importance, and may almost be said to be a new branch of husbandry. 
It has been greatly stimulated through the organization of cooperative dairies with scientific methods of butter making, and by the building of cheese factories and milk condensing stations. In the period from 1885 till 1900, the number of dairies increased from 249 to 650. In olden times, wild game was so plentiful in the mountain regions of Norway that hunting was an occupation of considerable importance. The Anglo-Norman historian, Ordericus Vitalis, who visited Norway in the first part of the 12th century, writes, Rural homesteads are found in large numbers around the lakes of the interior. The people have plenty of fish, fowl, and meat of wild animals. They keep strictly the commandments and strict laws of the Christian faith, and punish severely any violation of these. From all quarters their ships bring treasures into the country. Hunting has lost its former significance, being now carried on mainly as a sport, but wild game is still very plentiful in all parts of the country, and a considerable income is derived from this source in many districts. The red deer, the elk, and the reindeer still inhabit the mountains and forests in large numbers. The total of 2,033 head killed in 1897 may be regarded as a fair yearly average. Still greater are the number and varieties of birds and small game. The grouse is, no doubt, the most important wild game in the country. So plentiful is it that about two million birds are shot or snared every year. The coast of Norway is yearly visited by hosts of wild geese, swans, eider ducks, and other aquatic fowl, and great quantities of eggs and down are gathered. Commerce reached a high development in Norway in very early times. Through the Viking expeditions, new trade routes were developed, and the Norsemen soon became clever merchants as well as able seamen, and bold warriors. In The King's Mirror, Kungespilet, Speculum Regulae, written in Norway about 1250, a father gives advice to his son, who wishes to become a merchant. Both knowledge and experience is necessary, says the father, as a merchant must travel in distant lands and among strange peoples. He should be courteous, pleasing in manners, generous, a good judge of goods, and honest and upright in all his dealings. He should avoid gambling in bad company, and whatever might create the impression that he is a mere barterer and an uncultured person. He should set a good table, dress well, and seek the company of the best people wherever he comes. Study carefully all laws, says the father, but if you want to be a merchant, there is no law which you should study more carefully than the Bjarkejareter, or laws of trade. Though I have been more a king's man than a merchant, he says, yet I find no fault because you choose this occupation, for it is now chosen by many of our best men. Norway's shipping and commerce are, however, at present, of far greater economic importance than at any earlier period. In 1913, her merchant marine consisted of 2,133 steamships, 1,040 sailing vessels, and 205 motorboats, representing altogether a capacity of 2,586,030 tons. Only Great Britain, Germany, and the United States have a larger merchant marine than Norway. The greater number of this large fleet of vessels are engaged in the carrying trade in different parts of the globe. The earned profits of this trade for the year 1900 were $38,853,000. The forests of Norway are very extensive, covering about 24% of the entire area of the country. About three-fourths of this area is covered with coniferous, and one-fourth with deciduous trees. The value of the annual export of timber and other forest products is estimated at about $15,740,000. Mining has not hitherto been engaged in on any extensive scale. The most important mines are the Kunzberg silver mines, which have been worked since 1624, 
the Rerost copper mines, operated since 1646, and the Suletjelma copper mines, which were opened in 1887. Iron ores occur in large quantities in many places, and the mining of this metal is rapidly increasing. Manufacturing is of comparatively recent development in Norway. In olden times, manufactured articles were either imported, or they were supplied through private industry carried on in the homes by members of the family or by skilled laborers. A high degree of skill and artistic taste had been developed in the many handicrafts long before the times of recorded history. Weaving of homespun cloth, both of wool and linen, was common, and the farmers made their own tools and implements. It was the pride of the women then, as it is still in Norway, to embroider with taste, and there were artisans skilled in blacksmithing, wood carving, and in the making of ornaments of precious metals. Shipbuilding and the making of weapons were national arts which were held in high esteem, and were carried on with surprising skill in design and workmanship. With the development of towns and cities in the 11th and 12th centuries, and through the influx of skilled foreign artisans in the 13th, 14th, and 15th, a system of crafts and guilds originated which gained full control of the different lines of manufacture. This system of corporations produced a new industrial growth. Each guild had a monopoly on its specialty, to which the members were limited by strict laws, and which they did much to develop. The old native artisans, not able to compete with these new organizations, lost their importance and also much of their former skill. But to some degree they have survived all industrial changes, so that even at the present time workers in wood, silver, and brass can be found here and there in the rural districts, whose art seems to have been inherited through successive generations from those early times. The development of manufactures is limited chiefly to the 19th century, the growing having been especially rapid during the last 60 years. In 1850, only 12,700 persons were employed in the factories of Norway. In 1900, the number had risen to 70,000. With the cheap and almost unlimited water power available, and with a rich supply of minerals and other raw materials, manufacturing seems destined to become the great future occupation of the Norwegian people. But hitherto, during all the centuries of the past, the location, as well as the general character of the country, has been favorable to the development of the seafaring life along the extensive coasts, and the husbandry in the inland districts which have given Norwegian national life its distinctive features, both economically and socially. End of chapter 1